Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. The game changer, Jesus the game changer. Now listen, there have been events and people who have walked on the scene throughout history and their actions or the actual event itself changed the sequence of things. It may have changed history. It may have changed the direction of things. And, and literally once that came in, it changed the game and things would never be the same again. I want to talk to you obviously about Jesus, the great game changer, but also some game changers that we have seen in life. And I just want to talk to you about a few of them. One in particular to start off with is this beast from the East, Steph Curry. Any basketball fans out there? Two of you. Awesome. This guy is insane. Listen, this year he's made more three pointers than two entire NBA teams, okay? He's on pace to hit 362 three-pointers this season, with the previous record being 286, which was his own stinking record. This guy is a beast. He's averaging 30.3 points a game. He's ranked first in the NBA. He's on par to score 2,484 points this year. But most importantly, he's led his team to 64-7. and They're on track to beat the record of, I think it's the 94 Bulls. I'm not exactly sure. Don't hold it against me the exact day. But this dude's a game changer. When he shows up, he wins. All I do is win, 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 no matter what, right? And they just stay there. And so that's what Steph Curry... For, listen, I expect some laughter at, at least a bit, even at my own expense. This next guy, I know some of you are going to hate me for this. Don't hate. I, I don't love him. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan because Jesus loves the Cowboys. But this, now you come alive. Now you come alive. This next guy's a game changer. Throw that picture up. Get ready for it. Tom Brady, listen, so you, you, can, you can hate this guy. Let me just read some stats real quickly. He's the most winning quarterback in NFL history. The most, he has four Super Bowls, and there are only three other quarterbacks. Actually, I'm sorry. There are only three quarterbacks in the history of the NFL with four Super Bowls. One of them I will not mention because he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and God hates the Steelers, so I won't even say that name. This dude is a beast. Three Super Bowls won within his first five seasons. 48 game-winning drives. And whether you love him or hate him, stats aside, he's Tom freaking Brady. If you watched the playoff game against the Broncos last year, he had like a 60-point spread to cover in 30 seconds. And you're going, he could do it. It's Tom Brady. He could do it. He's a game changer. When he shows up, you're scared because you know he has the propensity to win. Are y'all tracking? He's a game changer. There are events that are also game changers. Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941 is a day that will live in. Thank you for all of you above the age of 30. I'm proud of you. Everybody else go to history class. Listen, this changed things. Japan flew in, bombed Pearl Harbor and awakened the sleeping giant. And then we blew up the world, right? So we showed up and it, it, it like changed the course of World War II. We had been holding off fighting for years, and then they did this, and the game changed. There's another date that when I say it, you'll remember immediately where you were when 9-11 took place, right? You felt that? Everybody just goes, oh, yeah. 
I was in DFW, right? And we lived right by, in Dallas, we lived right by the airport. And literally 30 minutes after it happened, every seven minutes a plane was landing. Our house was shaking because of the jets just coming in hot and fast. And then silence. You remember where you were. You, if you were watching, you remember your breath being taken away and taking a step back when the second plane hit, don't you? You remember? Do you remember the little American flag sticker that everybody put on their car? It was a game changer. And we're still in the, the, the rippling effects of that, isn't it? There's another event I want to talk to you about. It doesn't hold the same weight that Pearl Harbor 9-11 hold, but you remember where you were when OJ ran, don't you? Don't you? Don't act like you don't. Stop judging me. You remember where 95 million people watched that dude run away from the cops. If the glove don't fit, you must... Oh, man, you remember. You realize that two years after that, they stopped selling Broncos? It was a game changer, people. The birthplace of reality TV, my friends. Another game changer, social media. We used to talk to each other. Now we just look at our phones at the dinner table, right? And we send each other status updates and emojis were birthed, which I think are also the spawn of Satan. Yeah, I hate them. Don't send me texts with emojis. I hate them. Listen, we sit there and we'll look at social media. Have you ever been about to go to sleep and you made the fatal mistake of turning on, getting on Facebook or Instagram and 72 hours later you're waking up for work, right? You get sucked in and say social media changed things, right? You remember that show that used to be on called America's Funniest Home Videos? Send in your tape. Remember that? Some of you are like, tape? What's a tape? Anyways, moving on. The iPhone changed things, right? The iPhone changed things. iTunes is a game changer. iTunes was. And you used to listen to your genre of music. I know many of you are Barry Manilow fans. And you just love you some Barry Manilow, Copacabana. And listen, if you went to high school in the 90s, the genre of music you listened to defined who you were. Don't act like it didn't. If you were a flannel in the 90s, you loved Kurt Cobain, the end. If you, listen, I, if you ever put your jeans on backwards, crisscross will make you jump. Jump, TLC, don't go chasing. Rest in peace, left eye. We love you, left eye, right? Listen, it used to define you. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. We're praying for you too. It's good. Credence Clearwater Revival is okay as well. That's all right. Steely Dan, we love you as well. It, it defined who you are, but then iTunes came out and you don't actually have to buy a CD. You can buy a track. One song. And now everybody listens to everything. In fact, everyone in this room, under the sound of my voice, every single person in this room knows what's about to hit your eardrums. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, you do. Come on. I played basketball last Monday, and this 35-year-old dad rolls up singing this song. Like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Uh-huh. You know it. It's okay. Don't feel ashamed. Let me hear you. Yeah! Admit that I was wrong. Come on, let me hear you sing it. Justin Bieber, you're welcome. We got, we got to hit this chorus one time. Right here. Sing it. All right, cut it down. Cut it down. Don't judge me, Mr. and Mrs. Justin Bieber fan. Yeah! You, it's okay to like it, right? It's a game changer, right? It's a game changer. iTunes is a game changer. These are game changers. And listen to me. I just want to tell you, we are not here to talk about Justin Bieber or O.J. Simpson. We're here to talk about Jesus. And when he stepped on the scene, the game changed. 
when he stepped on the scene, the game changed. You need to know that. The game changed. It changed for all mankind. And we see three distinct phases of Jesus' life where the game continued to change. And three distinct things that we can pull from these three distinct phases of Jesus' life. And I just want to challenge you over the next 20 minutes to maybe lean into what God may want to do in your life. What he may want to say to you as we talk through the game changer, the great game changer who is Jesus. And you need to know in that first phase that Jesus' birth was a game changer. You're thinking, why are we talking about Christmas at Easter? Because it is quintessential for Easter. When Jesus was on the scene, when he was born into the scene, it was God reaching into humanity saying, hey, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm sending a savior into a jacked up, sin ridden, chaotic world. I'm sending, the Bible said, Emmanuel, God with us. I'm reaching back into humanity to let you know that you, that you, you, are, you are not alone. That you are worth it. You received an invitation to service today that said you're worth it. That's not the message of the movement, church. That's the message of God for you today. Jesus is the game changer. And his birth changed thing. He said, hey, I'm coming back for you. Listen, there's a very unique and creative way that the Bible paints a picture of how valuable you are to God. It's found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 through 30. It says this, what's the price of a pet canary? Some loose change, right? And God cares what happens to it even more than you do. Listen, I got to be honest. I'm a little bit of a nerd. I like Justin Bieber. Uh, Please pray for me. But I also, uh, not too long ago, found myself sitting on my back porch bird watching. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Stop judging me. They were hummingbirds, the coolest birds ever. And hummingbirds, I, I actually researched it, and I would put beaver on, and we'd just hang out, and I would, no, I'm kidding. They, they, the, the male hummingbird will take over a patch of an area, like maybe about the size of the seating, and there was one hummingbird, and he took over this patch, and I gave him a name. His name was Benai, named after David's mighty men. Stop judging me. And listen, I would watch this guy, and we would have conversations daily. And what would happen is, listen, uh, not really, that's a joke, guys. I don't know if you know this, but hummingbirds are very territorial. And other male hummingbirds would come in the scene. That guy would attack them like crazy with this crazy noise. And then a female hummingbird would come on. But what's up, girl? What's up? He would step back and let her kind of go after the honeysuckles. I'm like, you want to hang out, girl? You good? I'm not even kidding. That's what he did. And then one day I came outside and Benai was gone. And this ugly, fat hummingbird was in his place. He took over. We did a memorial service for that thing. Man, I was heartbroken. I'm not even kidding right now. And listen, that scripture is saying this, that that God knows the value of a canary and he takes care of them. Look at the next passage, though. He says this, if he doesn't just take care, if he takes care of the canaries, he pays even greater attention to you. Down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. Down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. Some of you don't have as many hairs on your head as you used to. So you're easier to count. Some of you do. That's how valuable you are. Every aspect of your life. And Jesus' birth is a game changer. It was God saying, man, I'm reaching back 
into humanity, back into the chaos of your world, back into the monotony of your world, back into sin and shame and condemnation. I'm reaching back in to let you know you are not alone, you are not neglected, but you have a plan and a purpose. We've got two kids, both my wife and I, and we've got a 12-year-old girl and a 7-year-old girl, and when we put our seven-year-old girl, Avery, to bed, she'll ask us, would you leave the door open and turn the lights on, right? That's pretty normal. You probably did the same thing when you were a kid. And she's not afraid of monsters under the bed. You know what she wants? She just wants to know that we're still at home. She wants to hear us when we're doing whatever we're doing for the rest of the night, going through getting things prepped for tomorrow. She wants to light on so she can see as we pass by the door. She just wants to be reminded that her dad is still home, that everything is okay. That's what Jesus' birth is about. God reaching back into humanity and saying that everything is going to be okay. Jesus' birth was a game changer. Jesus' death was a game changer. His death was a game changer. He came and he lived a sinless life, but he died a sinner's death and he paved the way to God. He put to death the slavery of sin and shame. Listen, I don't know your spiritual affiliation. I don't know your background. I don't know what you've walked through. But I know this, that all of humanity can identify with the concept of sin. And all of humanity can identify with the concept of shame. The weight of the emotional feeling of shame is overwhelming. So much so that so many people fail to don the door of a church because of my past. I don't feel like I'm worthy to go back to church. I'd like to pray, but I don't think you understand where I've been. What is that? That is shame. That's shame. And it's an overwhelming, crippling sensation. But Jesus' death on the cross changed that. It changed everything. He nailed shame and sin to the cross. And listen, it needed to die because sin is like a cancer. It's like a cancer. It grows and it takes over the body and it kills. And here's the thing. Just as in cancer, there is no human cure for sin and shame. God had to do that through Jesus on the cross. He had to do that through Jesus on the cross. Listen, my father passed away almost a year ago today, about a couple weeks from now. In fact, it was just after Easter last year where I went home to spend the last couple of days with him before he passed away. And he battled valiantly prostate cancer. Just an amazing man, lived an amazing life. And, and in January of last year, his things took a turn for the worse. And when I went home, literally the day after Easter last year, I flew home. And in a two-week span, he went from normal to Literally, he died two weeks later. And it wasn't pelvic cancer that killed him or prostate. It was literally, it just went into every part of his body. The cancer spread to his pelvic and his ribs and his bones and, and in every single aspect of who he was. And that is exactly what the power of sin and shame is. If we're not careful, it spreads like rampant through our body. It takes over and becomes overwhelming and to the point where we feel like our shame and our sin is the summation of who we are. But when Jesus died on the cross, he killed sin and shame. He destroyed it. And he said, it does not define your future any longer. 
It does not define who you are. Yes, you may have made poor choices. All of us in this place have sin in our life. All of us have experienced shame and condemnation, but it is not the summation of who we are. I love Romans 6, verses 6 through 11. In the message translation, it says this. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. Listen to this. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer at sin's beck and call. Hey, look at me in the eyes and lean in. Your past does not have to travel with you into your future. That's the game changer of Jesus' death at the cross. Your past does not have to travel with you into your future, which means that your bad habits or your addiction issues, the past failures or the feelings of hopelessness and despair, discouragement or shame, none of that has to carry on with you because Jesus nailed that to the cross. And lastly, Jesus' resurrection is a game changer. His resurrection is a game changer. Listen to this continued passage of scripture, Romans 6, chapter 6 through 11. It says this, what we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal to the end of death as the end. I love that passage. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was the end of death as the end. He nailed that sucker and then his resurrection meant that death no longer has its grip on us. That there is a future and a hope. Listen to this. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. But God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. Listen to this passage. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. The resurrection means that he's bringing dead things to life. Jesus is bringing dead things to life. He didn't stay in the tomb. The resurrection is not just something we talk about on a traditional Sunday in the church. Look at me in the eyes for one moment. The resurrection is a reminder that he wants to resurrect your marriage. You may have walked in today feeling like you're at the end, standing on the precipice of just disaster with that towel in the hand, ready to throw it in because hell and high water have come. But this scripture is a reminder that Jesus wants to bring dead things to life. And he can do that work in your marriage. You may have walked in feeling so desperate and alone and separated from who God is. But he wants to bring to life your calling and your purpose. You may feel there's a separation between a loved one, a mom or a dad, a son or daughter, a brother or a sister. Someone you've been estranged to and you haven't talked to in years and it breaks your heart every time. But God has the ability to do a miracle in that relationship because Jesus is in the business of bringing dead things to life. Bringing dead things to life. I think so many of us as people, and, and we're good at putting up false pretenses. And unfortunately, even in church, man, we hope you never feel you have to walk in here acting like somebody that you're not. 
But we're good at false pretenses and, and the appearance that everything is great. But I know what it's like to feel like things are breaking and falling apart on the inside. And I may not be dying a physical death, but I feel like I'm dying on the inside. And Jesus' resurrection changed that game for you. He wants to resurrect hope. And the word future. To give you a future. And a hope. He's in the business of bringing dead things to life. It's a new season. It's a new day. Winter is over. And spring has sprung. I want to read this passage of scripture that we read in the beginning of this. And I just want to kind of just... See it again through the lens of the fact that Jesus is resurrected. Check this out. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 7. It says this. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and other other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And I feel like some of us may have walked in today. And the very foundations and the walls of the home or the life that you've worked diligently to build have been shaken to their core. Like everything that you thought you could put hope in no longer seems to have hope in it. The very confines of my soul feel like they've been shaken. I wonder how many of us walked in today feeling like the foundations have been shaken from under me and I'm no longer got a leg to stand on and this passage of scripture is for you look at what the angel of the lord said fear not the angel lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and he sat on it verse three his appearance was like uh i missed it his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. And I, I just wonder how many of us may have walked in here feeling like fear is crippling. A fear of the unknown. Fear can be paralyzing. Especially when you face the uncertainties that life often throws at us. And we can stand and look before going, man, I used to think I know, but now I don't know. And, and if anything is true, I don't know if anything is true. And that fear can paralyze. And crippled, just like in the story. And then enters the scene of the empty tomb. It was Jesus saying that even if an earthquake comes, even if you feel overwhelmed by fear or shame or doubt or condemnation, the greatest days of your life are still ahead of you. You don't have to be bound by fear anymore. Verse 5, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And this next verse may be the most powerfully potent passage of scripture in the entire Bible. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. Verse six, he's not here. He is risen just as he said. He's not here. Death does not have its hold on him any longer. He's risen. That means there's new life. There's new hope. There's new promise. Because the next phrase is just as he said. 
Jesus was always fulfilling his promise to you and to me that he would never leave us nor forsake us. That come hell or high water, he would walk through the fire with us and we'd not be burned. We'd walk through the water and not drown. Why? Because he is with us. The psalmist wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. I know you look for Jesus that was crucified, but he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. What a promise for you and for me today. That shame and guilt, condemnation, fear, past mistakes, no longer have a grip on our life. The empty tomb is a representation of freedom. Liberty, hope, and a future. And that's the message for you and me today. If you're hearing it for the first time, may it be the greatest news you've ever heard. If you're hearing it for the hundredth time, may we never forget the value and importance that he's not in the grave anymore. He's risen, just as he said. Some of us in this room may be at a conundrum or an impasse right now because I, I, I walk into a church and I want to believe or I try to pray or I try to connect and I feel like there's a great chasm or a gap between me and God. And it's something that I try with, with just kind of eradicating my past or church attendance and, and I can't seem to get over this gap. It's an overwhelming sense of something huge. So much to the point that I just give up. And you know what I would tell you as a pastor today? The Bible actually speaks of this gap with full clarity and no ambiguity. It's called a sin gap. The Bible continues to share some very important things that everyone has sinned. You have sinned and I have sinned. No one is clear, devoid of sin. And, and that sin has a very grave and sobering consequence. Death. And an eternity in hell. But the Bible continues. It doesn't stop there. The Bible continues. It offers a great gift. The gift of salvation through Jesus. See, he came and lived a sinless life and died a very real sinner's death. And he paid the ransom and the punishment for your sin and mine. He died, was buried, and resurrected and closed the gap between us and the Father. God. And here's the greatest news about it. It's a gift. You can't get good enough to earn this gift. You can't attend church enough to earn this gift. It is just that, a gift. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I give you my life. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm not going to embarrass you, ask you to get out of your seat. Nobody else has to know, actually. But in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer that is simply a declaration of my faith in Jesus. 
And if you're here and you've never prayed this prayer, don't leave today without doing so. Why? Because on the other side of this declaration of faith is a new season and a new day, a hope and a future. Some of you are here today. Look at me in the eyes for just one moment. And you've been running from God, your purpose, destiny, the whole nine. You've been running. Maybe not an all-out sprint. Some of you may have, but some of you may just be a slow walk. But in the opposite direction. And if that's you, today, would you just say this prayer in your own heart with me? And come running back to him. He's waiting. In fact, the Bible says that he stands at the door of our heart and knocks. Just saying, man, I want to be a part of your life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around, nobody moving. We're almost finished here today. But if you're here and you've never made that statement of faith, we don't, we're not, you don't have to be a member of the church. You don't have to get up out of your seat. But don't leave today without starting that journey. That is when life gets good, not perfect, but good. And God's just waiting to begin that journey with you. And if you're here and you've been running from God, then this is the time and the moment. Not a moment, don't even wait another moment today, but just begin that journey again with Jesus. If you're here in your own heart, in your own mind, and that's you in either of those categories, would you just simply repeat this prayer after me, just in your own heart. You say, God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me. It's not by accident that I'm here today. God, the truth is I have sin in my life. I messed up. Would you forgive me? Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the ransom for my sin. And all across this room, heads bowed, eyes closed. In your own heart, just make this statement real. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com, and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.